in a word of prayer before we jump in here. God, thank you for this awesome day you've given to us. Thanks for the opportunity just to be here this morning. I pray, dear God, that once again, your Holy Spirit would guide and direct, that we would open up our hearts and our minds and receive what you have for us, Lord God. We love you. We praise you. We thank you for your word and the truth of it. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so last week we started looking, as Jen said, we started looking at biblical womanhood. Um, And honestly, please, I want you to, I'm not just going to say this and let it go. I honestly want you to commit in your heart that you're going to go back and listen to the sermons on biblical manhood, okay? They're out there. If you can't afford to buy the, 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 the CD, then we'll give it to you. Um, or you can go online and podcast. Please commit to li- listen to the sermons on biblical manhood. And please listen to last week's sermon as we kicked off really biblical womanhood. All right? Because they all tie together. And, and I, I want you to listen to those sermons because I've been trying to lay a foundation for our next topic, if you will, the roles we play through the seasons of our lives. What are the roles that we play as individuals, as people in God's kingdom? So we're going to look at Ephesians 22, um, chapter 5, verses 22 through 24. And some of you are thinking, well, you skipped verse 21 where it says that we should submit to one another. That's next week. We're, no, we're, not, uh, we're going to take our time on this one. But I'm going to look at Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 through, 22 through 24. And it says this, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church. And he is the savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let wives be to their own husbands in everything. Now, before we begin, I want to give you my, my definition of submission, what that means from, and I'm talking about exhaustive study. I mean, I've been engrossed in this topic for months, if you will, um, with so many of you uh, getting input and talking and uh, studying and reading. Um, and so here's, here's my biblical definition of, of submission. Voluntarily yielding in love. Voluntarily yielding in love. To follow the leadership of a person out of reverence for Christ. To volunteer, I want you to think about this, to voluntarily yield in love, to serve others, to serve other people, should be every Christian's greatest desire. It should be something that we all strive for. It should be something we long to achieve. Every single one of us, to serve others, to give our lives in service to another. It's the example that Jesus Christ set for us. He lived every day of his life as a servant, serving others, washing others' feet, caring for other people, putting other people first. That should be our desire to voluntarily yield in love to someone else. If that's the case, then why is this idea of wives submitting to their husband's leadership in the home, so controversial? Why does it like hit us in a place where it's like, oh, I can't stand to hear that? I think, I think that pride, selfishness, um, more of like a lack of humility, a lack of understanding is one of the big reasons. And I mean that for men and for women. Okay, it's not, I'm not just saying that women have pride and selfishness or whatever. I'm saying the reason we struggle in this controversy is because of pride, men and women. 
of a lack of understanding of what that actually means in men and women. It becomes a problem because we don't grasp it completely. The Bible teaches that a wife should follow her husband's leadership in the home, not because she is inferior to him. The Bible never, ever teaches that. We've studied this for weeks now. So you know the opposite is true. It's nothing to do with inferiority, but because that is how God designed the marital relationship to function. That's how God designed the family to function. It's as simple as that. And in all the study I've done, that's really what it comes down to. Even before sin entered the world, there was still the principle of leadership. Okay? Before sin, to, sin entered the world, it's not, part of the, it's not just part of the curse or whatever. It, it, it's just the reality of what is. Before sin entered, you had that. Adam was created first, and Eve was created to be a helper for Adam. Now, if you weren't here last week, you may be, again, you might be bristling or whatever else. Well, let's go back, and we're going to study the word helper once again from last week. I want to I reflect back on this idea of helper. What does that mean? Because in our English language, in our culture, usually helper means less than, right? Like I said last week, the carpenter's helper is not the same. The carpenter, and then you have the carpenter's helper. And that's the way we think about it in our English language. But help can refer to simple, modest acts, simple things like, can you help me with this? Or it can refer to something more vital and significant, more vital and significant. An example of vital help we talked about last week would be the saving assistance a doctor provides for you. Okay, so you're having a heart attack. Something is happening. You're about ready to die. And a doctor comes in and he, that's vital help. He provides assistance to you to save your life. That's pretty much an example of the word help that we're talking about. The Hebrew, in the Hebrew, the word helper used in Genesis chapter 2, verses 18 and verse 20 is the word azer. E-Z-A-R. Azer. And it's always, let me say that again, it is always used in the Old Testament to, in the context of vitally important, powerful acts of rescue and support. Vitally important acts of rescue and support. Always used that way. Never used as simple, modest acts. Never at all. This word is even used of God. You know, you've heard it. We, we sing songs about it. You read it in the Bible. You know, God is my helper and my strength, right? Over and over, God is my helper and my strength. Same word, azer. Same word is, is being used there. And it's important that we understand that the, the Bible never views God as a helper subservient to humans, and in the same way, we should not use this word azer, okay, when it comes to a wife, as subservient. That's not what the word means. It's not, it's not, it's not depicting subservience, okay, in, in the Old Testament. So what an ideal partner seems to convey the best idea here. So it's an ideal partner. Eve is an ideal partner for Adam. The second Hebrew word that we talked about in this verse, translated fit, a helper fit, is kenegdo. K-E-N-E-G-D-O. Kenegdo. 
Okay, love this word. This this word it literally means according to the opposite of him. So Kenegdo is according to the opposite of him. So the word helper, she is a she is vitally she is a vital help. Okay, like a doctor would when he, when the doctor intervenes to save a person's life, and she is the she's basically the opposite of him, according to the opposite of him. In other words, the focus is on an appropriate match. Eve is an appropriate match for Adam. That's how God designed her, to be an appropriate match. Eve was not created below or above, but she was complementary to Adam. That's what the word helper means. Okay, that's what the word helper means in the Bible. A lot of pushback on this whole concept in the culture comes from the misuse of this biblical concept. By men throughout history causing abuse. That's where, that's where the pushback comes from. It's, it's basically been used, this whole biblical concept of the woman is a helper, or, you know, women be submissive, whatever else, has been misused by men throughout history and has caused a lot of hurt and pain. Okay, because the person comes along, he's stronger, so instead of following a biblical worldview, where we talk about biblical manhood, again, go back and look at biblical manhood, it's misused. And so people end up being abused. And if you're on that end of the spectrum, why would you not bristle against the idea of someone lording over or abusing you? We see the same thing right now. Study parts of the Middle East are this way now, right? Women can't be educated. Women can't, they can't speak. They have to be chaperoned by a man. They can't, all this kinds of thing comes out of a misunder. Well, I'm not talking about that, but from a Christian standpoint, from a biblical standpoint, it has been misused throughout history. And that's where you get the cultural, much of the cultural pushback. Another, another reason that people um, reject this is just plain rebellion. Okay. People don't want to be in submission to anyone or anything, okay? So you have the one hand over here and the other one just flat out, let's just call it what it is. It's rebellion. I don't want to be submissive to anyone or anything. In the last few election cycles, okay, I'm not talking about Republican, Democrat, I'm just talking about in general, so hear me out here. I really struggled about the idea of being submissive to the leadership that God has placed above me. I literally sat in my office for like half a day coming, trying to read my Bible and figure out a way out of that, if you would. I didn't want to be submissive to these folks. I don't like the idea of being submissive to some congressman that is in our state or whatever else, or, or a senator, or a state senator, or whatever else, because I look at their lives sometimes and I say, God, why should I be submissive to this person? As I read through it, I realized that unless they're breaking biblical law, if you will, then I need to be submissive. But it bristles, we, we, we go against that in our nature. We don't want to be submissive. So it's sometimes just, you got to own it, right? It's just sinful rebellion. Establishing authority in the world, okay, is not new in the Bible. Establishing different lines of authority is, is not new at all. It's not uncommon in Scripture. God established governments to enforce justice in the society to protect us. Okay, so God established different governments to, to make sure that justice is being done, and that we are protected. He established pastors, all right, to, to protect and to feed the flock. 
Pastors were put in place. That's their responsibility. He established husbands to love and nurture their wives. He established parents to lead, if you will, and raise and instruct their children. And in each case, following leadership is required. Citizens to the government, right? Flock to the pastor, wives to husbands, and children to their parents. Their leader, leadership is required. We are required to follow the leadership of the structure that has been put in place. I can't think, just follow me on this logic, okay? I can't think of, I can think of one successful institution or company in the entire world today where, leadership, where a leadership structure is not in place. Can I, I can't even, I can't think of it. Can you? Can you think of one successful institution, one successful company in the entire world where leadership structure is not in place? See, as Christians, our first responsibility is to follow God's leadership. In James chapter 4, in verse 7, it says, Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. It's my responsibility first and foremost, man or woman, to submit myself to God, to follow God's leadership. That's what we're talking about. We can take the word submit out and just say following the leadership of. There's a lot of misunderstanding in our culture today about the roles of husbands and wives in marriage. A lot of misunderstanding. We've turned submission, if you will, that word into a bad word, all right? It's a bad thing. So the world has turned this whole concept into a bad thing, but like we've already established for weeks, following someone's leadership is not a reflection of inferiority or lack of worth. It makes a person less than. Following someone's leadership biblically never, ever makes another person less than. You are, if you go to work tomorrow and you have, a, you have a supervisor or a boss, just because they're your boss doesn't make you inferior or less than they are in the eyes of God. You're not less than. You're in a company that has a structure and you're following the leadership of that structure of that company. So let's go back to Jesus' example here. This is important, okay? And we're going to really jump into this next week real deep. He consistently, Jesus Christ, consistently submitted himself to the will of God the Father without reducing himself at all. He consistently, okay, submitted to the will of the Father without reducing himself at all. In Hebrews chapter 1, in verse 3, it says this, it reminds us, The Son, Jesus, is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Fact. Done. Jesus is fully God, fully man. Okay, but Jesus is fully God. He did not, he did not reduce himself as God at all. But then in Luke chapter 22, verse 42, Jesus says, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. And then in John chapter five, and I could, I only took, took two passages of scripture, but there are so many others. OK, in John chapter five and verse 30, it says, by myself, I can do nothing. This is Jesus. I judge only as I hear and my judgment is just. For I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. 
So Jesus is our perfect example, fully God and fully man. And he chose to follow the Father's leadership. He chose to follow the Father's will while he was here on earth, voluntarily yielding in love, voluntarily yielding in love, yielding to the Father, okay, in love for us and for the Father. So Jesus submitted himself to the will of the Father. To counter the world's misinformation concerning this biblical view of leadership, let me share a few um, examples. So let me share a few thoughts. Now, these are, these are assumptions that, that I've heard people make. They say, well, this is what the Bible says, that a wife should follow her husband. So this is the assumptions they come up with. And every, they just kind of lay these things out. So I'm going to kind of counter what they're saying. A wife is under... Biblically, under no obligation to disobey civil law, civil law or God's law in the name of following her husband. Okay, Not, not obligated whatsoever to, to disobey civil law or God's law. God calls her to follow his leadership in things that are right and lawful and God-honoring. Okay, there's boundaries here. It, it goes without saying that, that she doesn't submit to any form, follow his leadership or submit to any form of abuse to her or her family, period. Okay, at all, done. Trying to use this principle as a man to justify abuse or to, for your own sinful desire to control is twisting scripture and basically promoting evil. Let's, let me just say that right out. Trying to use this to twist it around for your own benefit is twisting scripture and promoting evil. To try to use it to meet your own selfish wants is also twisting scripture. That's not the way it's laid out. The principle does not allow at all for a husband to be aggressive or domineering. Period. I was thinking about this. This is my own Jeff thought. But God didn't create women from dirt like he did pretty much everything else. So don't ever treat them like dirt. Think about it. A wife is called to follow the leadership of her husband in the home, not to follow every man in every situation. That's not, what, that's not how this is laid out. A woman doesn't walk around following whatever man comes along and say, oh, I'm the man, so I get to decide what's going to be. That's not what the Bible says. This call does not, does not extend to a woman's role in the world as a whole, okay? There is no biblical issue for a woman to be running a Fortune 500 company or a country, for that matter, right? You like Nikki Haley, all right? She runs for president, she makes president, yeah, boom, all right? Whoever else. So it, has, it, doesn't, it doesn't go from, well, this is the way you're supposed to, this is the structure, this is the structure, the biblical structure here, and so that's the biblical structure here. It's not the case, That's not the case. A woman can run a country. She can run a Fortune 500 company. Nothing biblically wrong with that at all. There is nothing said of the wife's, in this this context, a wife's abilities, her talents, her worth. The fact that she follows her husband's leadership in the home does not imply any kind of intellectual inferiority or... Less, that she is less capable in any way. Here's the deal. I mean, let's just be honest. The reality is she may, have, she may be better qualified to lead than he is in many areas. Okay? She may be better qualified to lead than he is in so many areas, but she chooses to follow God's instruction 
by following her husband's leadership. So I'm going to let's back up for a second. So God's desire behind this instruction to follow is twofold. OK, twofold to give honor and respect to her husband. That's what honor and respect to her husband. And number two, to to compliment him where he is lacking. All right. That helper, that vital helper, compliment him. Right. She's a perfect compliment. God creator is a perfect, equal compliment to him. So to compliment him where he is lacking helper. It's God's wise plan of how the family should function. God is a God of order. God is not a God of confusion. So there's order. God has put order in place. Okay, there's nothing shocking about that. Now, you may be thinking in your mind right now, well, my husband, my husband doesn't live up to God's standards. So uh, why should I respect him, honor him or follow him, follow his leadership? Because he's not living up to God's standards. So first, I need to ask you, um, you need to ask yourself, is that really the reason? I think one of the things we've lost in our culture completely is the idea of self-reflection. Okay, is that actually the reason? Because what I've heard many times when people come and talk to me, they say, I am not living like my mother lived, period. I grew up in a home, father ruled with an iron fist, and what he said went, and this is how, and, and, and go across the board, and, and their response is, I am not living the way my mother lived. I don't think you should live the way your mother lived. I, I agree. Someone's being abusive verbally or any other way, whatever, I, I mean, I, I totally agree with you. And the other thing is, it, it, the other thing I've seen is uh, the need to have control because of your past. So you need to be in control. It has nothing to do with what he's doing or not doing. It really has to do with no matter what he does or doesn't do, you're not going to, you're not going to follow his leadership because that would put you not in control. And you've, you've been in situations in the past where maybe you've been in an abusive situation and you have no desire whatsoever to put yourself in that situation again with anyone or anything, period, end story. And I think it's just something, honestly, I'm not, I'm not jumping on you, beating you up or anything. I'm just saying I think it's important that we take a step back and self-reflect to why we're not going to do something. Not just, not just say, well, if he would, then I would, and blah, blah, blah. I'm going to give you, so you say, well, why should I? I'm going to give you a biblical answer first, why you should, and then I'm going to share some practical thoughts, Okay. Why you should and some practical thoughts. In verse 22, it tells us that we should submit as unto the Lord. All right. As unto the Lord. The as unto the Lord comparison also reminds us that we are all responsible to a higher authority. Men and women, every single one of us, we are all responsible to a higher authority. Why should I, why should Jeff Greer have to, to, to submit himself to the authorities that God has placed over me when I don't really trust whatever their, their decision making because there is an authority that has been placed over me that is telling me, unless they do such and such or so and so or whatever else, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, okay, you need to follow the leadership that has been put in place. Because we all are responsible to a higher authority. God's call to follow is not based on the performance of the other person. Okay, I'm talking about performance. Well, he doesn't really, he, he, here's my standard. He doesn't mean God's call to follow is not based on the performance of another individual. It's something that is done because of your love for him and God 
even when um, they may not deserve it or they fall a little short. And I'm talking deserve it. I'm not talking about like they're being abusive. I'm just talking about they haven't, they haven't matured spiritually to that point yet. But you're going to follow it because of your love for God, your love for them, and your desire to bring that person to that point. Now, I'm going to stop for a second. You need to hear me on this one. Okay, this is so important. What we're, what we're, what we're studying here is a biblical ideal, Okay. It's a biblical ideal. God has placed these, these, these biblical ideals. God says, be holy as I am holy. Right? To conform to the image of Jesus Christ. That means, what would Jesus do in every situation you face in life? How would Jesus handle it when, uh, love your enemy. Biblical ideal. Love your enemy. Right? Do good to them. I mean, the Bible talks about that. Turn the other to all these kinds of things. These are biblical ideals. This is a biblical ideal that we should strive to accomplish. When a husband loves his wife like Christ loves the church, following his leadership is usually not a problem for her. That's what I've noticed. When he is trying to love his, trying, trying, when he is trying to reach the biblical ideal of loving his wife the way Christ loved the church, she usually doesn't have an issue following his leadership. A husband's call is to love his wife as Christ loved the church, and he is responsible to fulfill that call. He's responsible I want to, I'm going to encourage you again. Please go back and listen to the sermons. There's two of them on biblical manhood. Please go back and listen to those again. They're very important to our whole topic. Okay. So now I want to end this section by studying some, some practical thoughts. I've heard men say things like, um, it's hard to love anyone. You, you know, you, it's hard to love anyone the way Christ loved the church. Just think about that biblical ideal that I'm going to love anyone in the world the way Christ loved the church. It's, that's really hard to do. That's really difficult to accomplish. But my wife is supposed to submit to me anyway regardless. Okay, so they're not connected. So even though I don't really meet up to the standards and maybe don't try, um, my wife is still responsible to, to, to follow my leadership in the home. Well, I'm going to sing you guys a song, okay? I like dreaming, right? Dream on, okay? I talked about a biblical ideal. If, if we continue to behave in such a way that shows that we're not desiring, if we just say, well, well, I understand that. This, this is the standard, but you know, who, can, who can actually do that? Let me lay this out for you. Again, wives are called to follow the leadership of their husbands in the home. Husbands are called to love their wives like Jesus loves us. All right? So we got that kind of down. As every sermon that you've probably ever heard on this subject has said, and every book that you've probably ever read on this subject has said, our job, the man's job, is harder than the woman's job. All right? And the guys are thinking, yes, see? My job is harder. Yeah, my job is harder. Yeah, if you actually attempt to do it. If not, it's not. Okay? I mean, it's like we hide behind this wall. My love Jesus, love my wife like Christ loved the church. That's the harder part. Well, it's a harder part if you actually try to do it. If you don't, then her job is harder. Okay? It's just reality. 
Her job is harder. If you're not actually trying to follow Jesus' command, it's not, it's not hard. Be honest with you, it's cake. Okay? I'm the male, and you follow me regardless. Well, that seems like a sweet deal to me. If you're not doing what God's called you to do, but you say, well, what the Bible? You pull out the Bible, you're going to pick it. Remember what Ephesians says? Ephesians chapter 5 is what it says. Well, you're not doing your part. Well, yeah, but that doesn't matter because I'm trying to. But you're supposed to submit to me and everything and blah, blah, blah. Well, I'm, let's be honest. Every book you've ever read, every sermon you ever hear said the man's job is harder. And that's true if he's actually trying to do it. If he's not, it is not harder at all. Switch roles for a second. Just switch roles and put yourself in the other person's responsibility and see if it's harder if the other person's not attempting to do what Christ has commanded that they do. Listen, as godly men, our wives are supposed to follow our leadership. But guys, we are supposed to follow God's guidance and direction for our family. Right? Thank you. We are supposed to follow God's guidance for our family. There's a purpose here. God's not willy-nilly throwing things around. There's a purpose here. Isn't some random command from some random book leading to a male power play? That's not what's in play here. We're supposed, listen, we're supposed to lead our families into a closer relationship to Christ. That's what this is all about. That's why God set this structure up. Because I am supposed to lead my family into a closer relationship with Jesus Christ, which means that I should be trying to be on the forefront, if I'm trying to lead someone closer to Christ, lead someone closer to Christ, then I should be as close to Christ as I possibly can be, because how then can I lead them to Christ? And if I am trying to be as close to Christ as I possibly can be, then I'm going to be trying at least to meet these biblical standards, this biblical ideal, and things will fall more smoothly into place. The problem is that people on this end aren't trying, and sometimes people on this end aren't trying, and then we have chaos. And everybody blames everyone else for what's going on. Listen, guys. We should be studying the Word of God. How can I help my family? How can I lead my family closer to Christ if I am not studying the Word of God? We should be praying about every decision that we make individually and together with our spouse. We should be praying. We should, we, we should be sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. We should be spending time being quiet before God, allowing God to speak to our hearts so we, can, we know what God wants from us as we read the Word and we listen to His Spirit. We should be listening here. We should be listening to our wives' wisdom and discernment because God has given our wives to us as a helper, helper fit for us, right? Do we need to go back and study that again? What that word helper and fit means? We need to be listening to our wives' wisdom and discernment on these subjects. If you're thinking, um, yeah, but I, I, I still get the last word on the matter. Man, you are missing the point. Yeah, but I'm still the boss. You're missing the point. If you think that you're, you, you're, 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 you're the boss, so you want things to go your way in the family, so you make decisions that, that benefit you, you have completely and utterly and totally missed the point of why God put the structure in place. Let me make some suggestions. You may disagree with me on this, okay? This is just my own study, but let me make you a suggestion. 
You should not move forward on a decision in your home if you're not in lockstep with each other, if, unless you both agree. You shouldn't make a decision unless you both agree. That doesn't violate the, um, that doesn't violate the, the, the call to respect. Disagreement is not disrespect. Right? The opposite of him, according to the opposite of him. So it's okay that a woman comes to the table with a different mindset, because that's the mind that God has given her, and that you come together on a decision. It doesn't violate the idea of helper, helper or complementary to him where he is lacking. Listen, if men, if men and women are equal, and we study this in, 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 in detail, if men and women are equal in the eyes of God, and they're both equally seeking God out, and they are, they are one flesh, shouldn't they come to the same conclusion? Someone told me two or three days ago, they were watching a show and, and these people were sitting there and they were interviewing and they said, yeah, my husband and I, we, you know, we, we pray about it and sometimes we come to completely different conclusions. Wait, you're filled with the Holy Spirit, he's filled with the Holy Spirit, two become one. How, how are you coming? But well, that's okay. No, it's not okay. It's okay to have disagreement and come to a conclusion, okay, to understanding, but doesn't it make sense if two become one and the Holy Spirit guides you both, shouldn't you at least be on the same page? And if you're not on the same page, should you really be moving forward? Just a thought. Right? One of the, one of the best ways to know if you're making the right decision is that you are of one mind. Then you know you're making a really good decision. Husbands, can you honestly say that you're more spiritually mature than your wife? And if you're not spiritually more mature than your wife, shouldn't then you be trying to engage her as much as possible in those decisions? Shouldn't you be drawing from her wisdom and discernment on those decisions? If you can honestly say that you're not spiritually mature, then are you as sensitive to the Holy Spirit as she might be? When things are, what's going on in the home? I mean, isn't that, isn't that make sense to draw up a person who's equal with you, but may have more wisdom in some area because right now you're not as spiritually mature as she is? Um, wives, can you honestly say that you have equal knowledge on every subject that goes on in your home? Because here's what I get all the time. I try to make a decision and it's a battle on everything. She battles me on everything. Why? Just being, I mean, honestly, that's where we self-reflect. Why, why, why is there a battle on everything? If he has a better grasp on the subject, why not follow his lead? Not make you less then. Doesn't make you less valuable in the eyes of God. Why, why are we battling on every subject? If a person, if the wife has a better grasp on this subject, why not, why not go along with what she, she thinks is the most wise and discerning thing to do? If he has a better grasp on this subject, why is there always a battle? That's not, that's not what God calls us to do. Because a battle doesn't seem like there's that coming together. I've heard wives say, Following his leadership is not difficult as long as I know that he's doing his best to love me and to follow Christ. I've heard godly women say that all the time. It's not difficult to follow his lead when I know that he's doing his best. He's not perfect. That's impossible. He's doing his best to love me, okay, and to, and to follow Christ. 
And I want to close off this morning with, with this quote from Matthew Henry that I think really sums it up well. It says this, The woman was made out of Adam's side. She was not made out of his head to rule over him, nor out of his feet to be trampled on by him, but out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected, and near his heart to be loved. Let's pray. God, thank you for this time we can spend together. And Lord, thank you for your word. God, I pray with all of my heart that I am handling your word appropriately. God, I pray that each one of us would look to your son, Jesus Christ, as our perfect example, men or women. That we see someone who is willing to sacrifice, to serve, to wash his disciples' feet, to love beyond words to the point of death. That's our example. Fully God yet willing to submit himself to the will of the Father for us. Because you love us that much. I pray, dear God, that as a man, that I would love my family, that I would serve my family, that I would protect my family, that I would think of my family before I think of myself. I would put them first in everything. God, as, as the women of the church, I pray that you would help them to feel that same way. That we would submit to you first and foremost. That we would love our families the way you love us. That we would serve our families. That we would encourage them and support them and be that vital help. Filling in the gaps where where people in the family are lacking, whether husband or children, filling in the gaps with the wisdom and the giftedness that you've given to all women, Lord God, that they would use that to strengthen, encourage, and build up their families. God, we're all working this through. I pray that we would continue to work it through, but that we would ultimately come to a point where, God, we want to serve you first and foremost, and that that would spill out into those around us. We love you, we praise you, we thank you for men. We love you, we praise you, we thank you for women. In Jesus' precious and holy name, amen. Have a great, great day.